Hello everybody. I would like to read you a story. A Pair of Silk Stockings by Kate Chopin. Little Miss Summers one day found herself the unexpected possessor of $15. It seemed to her a very large amount of money. And the way which it stuffed and bulged her worn old portmanteau gave her a feeling of importance which she had not enjoyed for years. The question of investment was one that occupied her greatly. For a day or two, she walked about apparently with her income, but really absorbed in speculation and calculation. She did not wish to ask anything, to do anything she might afterwards regret. But it was during the still hours of the night when she lay awake, revolving plans in her mind, that she seemed to see her way clearly towards a proper and judicious use of the money. A dollar or two should be added to the price she usually paid for Jane's shoes, which would ensure their lasting an appreciable time longer than they usually did. She would buy sewing for him and a yard for Carcara for new shirt for the boys and Jane and Mary. She had intended to make the old ones big and skillful patches. Now she took another time. She had seen some beautiful patterns, veritable gardens in the shop windows. And still, there would be left enough for me to get on. She replied to Peter. Oh, what do I do? That is so well. She would get caps for the boys and sailor hats for the girls. The vision of her little breeze looking fresh and dainty and new for once in their lives excited her and made her restless and wasteful with anticipation. The men sometimes talked of certain Easter days that little Mrs. Summers had known before she had ever thought of being Mrs. Summers. She herself indulged in no such nerdy retrospection. She had no time, no second of time to devote to the past. The needs of the gaunt of the present absorbed her every faculty. A vision of the future, like some dim, gaunt monster, sometimes appalled her, but luckily, tomorrow never came. Mrs. Summers was one who knew the value of housing, who could stand for hours making her way inch by inch towards the desired object that was selling below cost. She could elbow her way smoothly. She had learned to clutch a piece of goods and hold it and stick to it with persistence and determination till her firm came to be curved, no matter when it came. But that day, she was a little faint and tired. She had swallowed a light luncheon. Oh, no, no. When she came to think of it, between getting the children fed and the place righted and preparing herself for the shopping bag, she had actually forgotten to eat any luncheon at all. She sat herself upon a revolving stool before a counter that was comparatively deserted. Trying to gather strength and courage to charge through an eager multitude that was besieging breastworks of shirting and figured meals, an all-gone lumpy feeling had come over her, and she rested her hand aimlessly upon the counter. She wore no gloves. By degrees she grew aware that her hand had encountered something very soothing very pleasing to touch. She looked down to see that her hand lay upon a pile of stockings. A placard nearby announced that they had been reduced in price from two dollars and fifty cents 
Kiwanda America. And a young girl who stood behind the counter asked her if she wished to examine a line of silk hosiery. She smiled, just as if she had been asked to inspect the tiara of diamonds with the ultimate view of purchasing them. But she went on feeling the soft, shiny, luxurious things with both hands down, holding them up to see them glitter and to feel them glide, serpent-like, through her fingers. She was kept six boxes and souvenirs of her pair's teeth. She looked up at the girl. Do you think there are any eight and a half among these? There were any number of eight and a half. In fact, there were more of that size than any other. Here was a light blue pair, there was some lavender, some more black and various shades of tan and grey. Mrs. Summers selected a black pair and looked at them very long and closely. She pretended to be examining them with her spectacles, which the press assured them she could have. A dollar and ninety-eight cents, she mused aloud. Well, I'll take this pair. She handed the girl a five-dollar bill and waited for her change and for her parcel. What a very small parcel it was. It seemed lost in the depths of her shabby old cotton bag. Mrs. Summers asked if Axe might move in the direction of the bargain station. She took the elevator, which carried her to another floor into the region of the ladies' waiting rooms. Here, in a retired corner, she exchanged her cotton stockings for the new silk ones that she had just bought. She was not going through any acute mental process or reasoning with herself, nor was she striving to explain to her satisfaction the motive of her action. She was not thinking it at all. She seemed for the time to be taken direct from that laborious and fatiguing sequence and to have abandoned herself to some mechanical impulse that directed her actions and freed her of responsibility. How good was the touch of the warm silk to her flesh? She felt like lying back in the cushioned chair and reveling for a while in the luxury of it. She thought for a little while. Then she replaced her shoes, rolled the cotton stockings together, and tucked them into her bag. After doing this, she crossed straight over to the shoe department and took her seat at the seat. She was fastidious. The clerk did not move down. He could not reconcile her shoes with her stockings, so she was not too easily seen. She held back her skirt and turned her feet one way and another, another way as she glanced down at the price pointed six feet. The foot and ankle looked very pretty. She could not reconcile that they belonged to her and were a part of herself. She wanted an excellent and stylish foot. She told the young fellow who served her, and she did not mind the difference of a dollar or two more in the price the longer she got what she desired. It was a long time since Mrs. Summers had been fitted with gloves. On rare occasions when she had bought them, they were always bargains, so cheap that it would have been preposterous and unreasonable to have expected them to be fitted to the hands. Now she rested her elbow on the cushion of the glove box, and a pretty, pleasant young creature fell asleep and soft as silk through a long, whiskered sleep over Mrs. Summer's hand. She smoothed the tie over the wrist and softened it neatly. 
and face, locked sometimes or self-conversely, with admiring concentration of the little symmetrical gloss hands. There were other places where many might have been. There were books and magazines piled up in the window of the pool, a few cases hanging too. Mrs. Jones bought two penthouse magazines, such as she had been accustomed to wear in the days when she had been accustomed to other pleasant things. She carried them without wrapping. As long as she could, she lifted her skirts at the top of it. Her stockings and boots and well-fitting gloves had worked marvels in her diaries, had given her the feeling of assurance. Sense of belonging to design her snug fatigue. She was very hungry. Another time, she would have spilled the cravings for food until reaching her own home, where she would have freed herself a cup of tea and taken a slot of anything that was available. But the impulse that was guiding her would not suffer her to entertain any such thoughts. There was a restaurant at the corner. She had never entered that school. From the outside, she had sometimes caught glimpses of spotless damask and shining crystal, and soft stockinged waiters serving people of fashion. When she entered, her appearance created no surprise, no consternation, as she had half thought it might. She seated herself at a small table alone. And an attentive waiter at once approached to take her order. She did not want a profusion. She craved a nice and tasty bed. A half dozen blue points was a small entry. A plump chocolate press. A cooking sheet, a creme cracker, which is such a creamy dessert. Or an, a glass of brine wine. And after all, a small cup of hot coffee. While waiting for dessert, she removed her gloves very leisurely and laid them beside her. Then she picked up a magazine and glanced through it, cutting the pages with the blunt edge of her knife. It was all very agreeable. The damask was even more spotless than it had seemed through the window, and the crystal more sparkling. There were quiet ladies and gentlemen who did not notice her lunching at a small table like her own. A soft, pleasing strain of music could be heard, and a gentle breeze was blowing through the window. She tasted a bite, and she read a word or two, and she sipped the amber wine and wiggled her toes in the silk stockings. The price of it made no difference. She counted the money out to the waiter and left an extra coin on his tray whereupon he bowed before her as before a princess of royal blood. There was still money in her purse, and her next temptation presented itself in the shape of a matinee poster. It was a little later when she entered the theatre. The play had begun, and the house seemed to her to be packed. But there were vacant seats here and there, and into one of them she was ushered between brilliantly dressed women who had gone there to kill time and eat candy and display their gorgeous hair. There were many others who were there solely for the play and acting. It is safe to say 
there was no one present who bore quite the attitude which Mrs. Summers did to her surroundings. She gathered in the whole stage and town and people in one wide impression and absorbed it and enjoyed it. She laughed at the comedy and wept. She and the gaudy woman next to her wept over the tragedy and they talked a little together over it. And the gaudy woman wiped her eyes and sniffed on a tiny square of filmy perfumed lace and passed little Miss Summers her box of candy. The play was over. The music ceased. The crowd filed out. It was like a dream ended. People scattered in all directions. Mrs Summers went to the corner and waited for the table turn. The man with keen eyes, who sat opposite to her, seemed to like the study of her poor, pale face. It puzzled him to decipher what he saw there. In truth, he saw nothing, unless he were wizard enough to detect a poignant wish, a powerful longing that the cable car would never stop anywhere but go on and on with her forever.